You're listening to the Broncos Audio Zone. Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Broncos Audio Zone. I am Phil Milani, alongside Eric Dalala, back with another great episode of Broncos Country Throwback. This time, uh, Jim Sakamano is joined by one of the most recognizable kickers in NFL history. Yeah, Phil, we're happy to uh, have Rich Carlos, longtime kicker for the Denver Broncos, join us today. And, you know, Phil, most known for not wearing a shoe out there on the field when he's kicking. I'm excited to hear about that and a lot more. Jim, take it away. This is Jim Sakamano, and we're talking today on Broncos Country Throwback with Rich Carlos. Rich Carlos was the last pure barefoot kicker in pro football history. And Rich, uh, quite frankly, always one of my very, very favorite guys and maybe the best guy I ever dealt with in my career. But Rich, as you know, you're, you're known in Bronco lore for your kicking style and for being a real good guy. But let us know, when you tell our fans, you didn't really start off, you know, as a soccer player or a barefoot guy. Uh, how did this all develop? Well, you know, growing up in northeastern Ohio, there wasn't much in the way of soccer. I'm not even sure anyone had heard of it uh, when I was growing up. And uh, But I always loved, actually, to punt the ball, and I used to go in the backyard and punt back and forth with my dad, and <clears throat> I wouldn't get yelled at until I put one on top of the hood of the car. And uh, But I always liked to punt, but I didn't uh, – my dad wasn't a fan of me playing little league sports, so – uh, I didn't really play any football until uh, I had a, a brief stint my freshman year in high school and it turned out I didn't like it and um, just stuck with track for uh, most of my high school career. And then my going into my last year in high school, I had two guys come up to me and recruit me to come out for the football team because they just needed warm bodies and uh, so it, it initially it gave me a chance to, uh, I figured it was my last year of high school and, and, uh, what the heck I had nothing to lose. And so I, um, went out and I punted and they asked me if I could kick and I said, well, I, you know, I, you know, never really, we played a game called kickball, but I never really kicked the football, liked to always punt it. And so <clears throat> initially they gave me a square toe shoe. I took it home and I brought it back the next day and I said, I can't, I can't do this. I can, I'll have to learn to kick soccer style. I mean, I always liked uh, Jan Stenerud was when I was a little boy. And um, so I just, you know, started to, to kick and, and it, you know, I punted pretty well and my punting was the strength of my game and, and kicking, you know, we, we weren't a very good team. We only won one game that year. And, um, so there weren't a lot of opportunities, uh, but I really took to the kicking part. I really liked it. And, you know, I always tell people when I hit it good, it went far. I just never knew if I was going to hit it good or not. Um, but it was enough to, you know, incent me and to think about college. And I hadn't really thought about college at, up to that point. And so we visited a few schools and, um, Ended up at the uh, University of Cincinnati having a, a walk-on camp, and there was a uh, assistant 
coach there that was from up around my neck of the woods and which was uh, Salem, Ohio, and, right? <clears throat> Salem, Ohio. Yep. Salem, Ohio. And, um, so walked on at the university of Cincinnati and they, as a punter, and, uh, they said, you guys are welcome to come back. They kept a couple of us and, and, uh, we thought we would stay and practice with the team. Instead, they, they said, come back at when school starts. So it was kind of a, a, a weird feeling. And, uh, but, uh, initially just walked on as a punter and then, uh, at the University of Cincinnati. And then the, the, uh, during spring football, my freshman year, they, uh, they talked, they said, Hey, we've got enough punters. Why don't you, why don't you work on kicking? And, uh, <clears throat> I kind of messed with it and messed with it. And, and I, you know, I remember seeing Tony Franklin kicking barefoot at Texas A&M at the time. And so I just, I decided one day just to give it a try. And, uh, I noticed that when I hit it good, I had a good feel for it and it went far. And, and if I hit it bad, it really hurt. Uh, so hmm. it taught me to concentrate very quickly. That's amazing. Now you finished at the University of Cincinnati, and I think you were a free agent guy in the Houston Oilers camp, weren't you? Yeah, in 1981, my uh, the uh, a guy who was a basketball agent, Ron Grinker, uh, was friends with the basketball coach at Cincinnati, and Ron was a, a alumnus of Cincy, and so Ed Badger talked Ron into trying to help me find a a place to try out. Uh, I was supposed to have a fifth year, but they fired the coaching staff, and then I was informed that I'd played some JV games my freshman year, and that eliminated my fifth year. So I was kind of hanging out there, and and we didn't have a very good. You know, I only kicked. I did kickoffs my sophomore and junior year at Cincy, and then finally got to do field goals my senior year because there was a scholarship kid ahead of me, and um, we weren't very good. We went two and nine, and two and nine my last two years, and. Uh, I ended up like 10 out of 15 on field goals, and I think we kicked maybe a total of 11 extra points. So I didn't have much of a resume. <clears throat> so Ron uh, Grinker knew uh, Eddie Biles, the coach at the Houston Oilers. They were uh, high school classmates. So Ron put a call into Eddie, and uh, you know Ed gave me a, uh, a chance to come down to Houston and try out and. That lasted about three weeks. I was kicking against the legendary Tony Frisch, and then their their twelfth round draft choice draft choice Bill Capice out of Florida State. So I made it three weeks, and then I got that dreaded knock on the door at seven a.m. and said, "It's time to go home." And uh, the things you remember, Sako, I remember them saying, "Take your playbook down to room one hundred four," and and I mm-hmm. uh, went down, and there was a um, the head of player personnel, Mike Holovec, um, said to me, hey, Rich, I uh, I wouldn't give this up yet. I think you should stick with it and give it another try. And uh, that's all the encouragement I needed at, uh, at that age. Speaking of things that you never forget, I personally will never forget the circumstances by which you became a Denver Bronco. Uh, and if, if I could take a second, we had all these letters in the player personnel files. And one day they decided to just clear out the files. They sent letters to everybody, inviting them to a free agent, uh, just an open tryout. 
and it was like the Star Wars bar of free agency <laughs> on a Saturday. Oh, my God, I had to give my Saturday to this, but we got you out of it. It was the weirdest conglomeration of guys you ever saw, as you well recall, a 278-person tryout camp. Your memories of it going in, what the day was like, and, of course, what it led to. So I, I just remember getting over to the uh, the practice facility off of 58th and 25, and there were people everywhere. I mean, just, you know, tons and tons of, you know, players, everyone who had any kind of dream to ever try out. And, um, and I, you know, as I sit here in my office, I'm staring at my my T-shirt that uh, they gave us, and my, my number was 192, and it said Denver Broncos free agent camp. And so they kept the kickers and punters out from uh, – we, we got there at about 8 o'clock, and they finally brought us in, I think, around noon – and uh, the punters and kickers, and they said, look, we're running behind schedule. We're going to give you each two kicks from 20, 30, 40, and 50 yards, getting groups of five, and and it was a, uh, a feeding frenzy from that point. Uh, <laughs> I was the first guy in the second group of five, and um, uh, I just remember being pretty nervous and thinking, you know, I worked really hard all winter running the stadium steps and sneaking on at the Bengals training camp, uh, uh, their practice facility, and kicking on the pro posts and getting run off by them and sneaking back on the next day. And um, so I really, you know, mentally I was ready uh, and we kicked off the turf field out at uh, the practice facility and what I remember is kicking him up and over the net and under the roof of the warehouse behind there. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden, uh, they were more interested in my number, uh, 192. And uh, Fran Polesfoot, the special teams coach, came up and asked me my name and where I was from. And um, so then we sat there and and waited uh, until everyone got through. It seemed like an eternity. And then they called out it. Seemed longer to me, I think, Rich, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So they called out four or five numbers, and they said, hey, you know, do two kickoffs each. And we did two kickoffs, and then they said, hey, we want to talk to 192. And and, uh, at that point, I went and met with John Beek, the GM, and, he uh, made made me an offer. I I didn't sign it right away. I was originally scheduled to go to New England the next day, and um, but I, I uh, we finally uh, negotiated a contract with uh, John, and he finally relented and gave me a nice signing bonus of five hundred dollars that covered my expenses to come to uh, Denver for the tryout. Amazing and really rich. Somebody had to be there to see it. There's that Vince Papali movie, uh, Invincible, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you familiar with that one? And that yep. scene yeah. when Dick Vermeil does the open tryout and people laugh. That, that was the only thing I could compare to this. It was bizarre. You know, we once had a guy, speaking of your T-shirts, after the tryout was over, we had the Denver police come to us. Not the same day, but a few weeks later. They said we had a guy commit a... Um, a robbery, an armed robbery, and he was wearing a T-shirt 
that had a number on Broncos T-shirts, free agent. <laughs> Could you look up and see who it is? We said, sure. So we looked it up. We looked up the guy's number. We got all the records on it. They go to his apartment, ding dong, and they arrest the guy. <laughs> That's he a wore great story. He Broncos shirt to a robbery. <laughs> now, Rich, well, it's uh, Rich, it, it's it's one of my most coveted. Uh, uh, you know, memorabilia I have from yes. playing is that is that T-shirt. You were in two incredible games among many, many for the Broncos, including two Super Bowls. But you were in the snow game in which you kicked the winning field goal, uh, Monday night football against the Packers, and also the drive. I remember the drive. That Cleveland locker room was so small that really a lot of times when guys got dressed, they, dressed, they left it. And you were just standing out on the concourse with me, and I'll never forget that you told me, I don't know, I just feel like it's going to come down to a field goal, Jim. And it did. <laughs> yeah, and, and and for me personally, that having that game uh, in Cleveland, yes, you know where you know where I you know I grew up an hour and a half south of there, and having my dad take me to. Uh, the Browns training camps at Hiram College back when Leroy Kelly and those guys were playing. Um, you know, I, I, that was such a memorable experience for me that, uh, you know, not, you know, just, I mean, obviously bringing it back to Denver was fantastic, but sharing that with, you know, the folks that came up, you know, from Salem to see it was, you know, I couldn't have probably scripted it any better. It- no, and I remember in the post-game interview tent, there were so many guys I'm bringing back and forth, and I just remember at a moment in time when you were being interviewed, and you said, because people said, well, you're an Ohio kid. You said, yes, I've always been proud to say I'm from Ohio, and it literally gives me goosebumps right now, Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a great moment. But tell me this. You know, there were a lot of dog bones flying around that day. We weren't very popular. <laughs> Was it fair? <laughs> was it fair, or was it wide in overtime? Oh, I have, you know, I've I have had some uh, some friends of mine that uh, have uh, uh, that are living in Denver that remind me that I ruined their childhood. Elway and I together ruined their childhood, mm-hmm. and uh, one buddy of mine he swears it was wide, you know, and I. I I tell him, I said, I don't think so. I think it was no. just good enough, you know. The, I think it was that fair last coat of paint. Yeah. That end of that end of that field was like kicking out of a sand trap. It was just painted green sand. Yeah. And I remember going out and Gary Kubiak is my holder. We went out and tried to, you know, clear it off, and all we did is create a hole. So we put it, you know, slid the sand back on, packed it the best we could, but the footing was just so horrible at that end of that field um, that, you know, I was really fortunate that, you know, my uh, my foot didn't slide any further into that ball. Mm-hmm. Chuck Heberling, the great Chuck Heberling, was the referee of that game, and uh, one of our sports writer friends always joked with me. He said that Heberling looked and he probably couldn't decide either if it was fair or, or wide, but at that moment a dog bone hits him, so he says, fair, let's get out of here. <laughs> and that's as good a story as any. 
I tell you, the, the toughest kick, the toughest kick was the extra point in regulation because it, it was at that dog pound end and they people had carried garbage bags of dog bones in and you know they were just slinging them left and right so you know that was i thought that was the harder of the two kicks yeah it was uh and of course it's also there is no overtime drive if you don't make that uh that kick so you had three you had extra points of course and three field goals you had a great day rich yeah, it was uh it was like I said one that you I couldn't have scripted it any better for me personally. How about the snow game against the Packers? Gosh, Remember that game that? it was October like 14th or 15th, 15th of yeah, 80, 84, right? About that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could have been 85 and, uh, or whatever. But but we we were uh that game was so crazy because, you know, we I had the opening kickoff. I'm jogged to the sidelines, and I'm drying my foot off with a towel before I put my moon boot on. And I look up, and we score a touchdown. I can't remember if it was Foley who got the first one or uh, Louie that got the first one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I jogged 70 yards, kicked the extra point, stand out there during the – football the time out in the snow and do the kickoff and I go back to the sidelines and I'm drying my foot off and I look up and we're scoring another touchdown. <laughs> so there, there was about probably 10 or 15 minutes that I never did get my moon boot on. And then in the second quarter, we, uh, we kicked a field goal and you could barely see the goalposts and it was, it wasn't right. an overly long field goal, but you know, kicking with a bare foot, you know, wasn't exactly the ideal situation because you had no no uh, footing no grip uh, but I also have a copy of that picture in black and white which that's how I kind mm-hmm. of remember that game is in black and white uh, you know with great memories rich now the NFL does a great job with the Walter Payton man of the year and a lot of awards for all the community uh, service and everything and that's wonderful to see we didn't have that as much in the days when you played, but if we had, you would have been an unequivocal Broncos nominee every year. The work you did in the community and have continued to do, just fantastic, Rich. Yeah, I mean, I feel really blessed. The you know my uh, uh, Ron, Ron Grinker, my attorney, said to me, "Look, you've got a window of opportunity with the, being with the team that you can really use that and do some good in the community." And it was really good encouragement. And, you know, between Family Tree and Special Olympics of Colorado and the Denver YMCA, and now I serve on the National Sports Center for the Disabled, but um, those organizations and and even, you know, the time I volunteered at Children's Hospital, you know, I think it's just so important that, you know, when you have that opportunity to, you know, to give back and invest in your community and, you know, if we want it to be a better community, it's up to us to to make it that, and we do that by volunteering our time and our uh, our talents and our monies to do that. When you were playing, uh, they weren't all glorious moments. Anybody misses a kick, anybody fumbles a ball, anybody has a mistake, but you never, absolutely never, did, denied an interview request for me 
even in the toughest of times, you always stood there by your locker. You answered every question, and um, you were as good at that, uh, and I don't mean as talented, but you were as stand-up a guy as you were at that as I've ever had, Rich. Well, thanks, Sako. I, you know, I just felt that, you know, everyone wanted to be there when you had a game-winning kick. You can't run and hide mm-hmm. when you, you know. And uh, you know, I, I had at Mr. Boland's funeral, I, I went up to uh, Clark Hunt and I said, "Hey, I want to tell you a quick story about your dad." And I said, "You know, in 1984, I, um, I had two games where I hit the uprights back to back, and we lost those games. First one against Seattle." and the second one in Kansas City. And I, I was in the shower after the game, you know, trying to drown myself. And the um, they pulled me out of the shower, and I came out, and there was John Beek with uh, Lamar Hunt. And Lamar Hunt just uh, wanted to provide me some encouraging words of uh, support. And, uh, and I've never forgotten that. I mean, what a class act by the owner yeah. of the other team to make that effort to uh, come in and and uh, give me that encouragement. So and very uh, blessed, each, very charmed. Yes, each in their own way. You, John Beek, and Lamar Hunt, boy, there is a bucket of football history and first right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, very blessed. Um, it's, you know, that, that decision my senior year in high school, how it changed my whole life and it brought me to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I, I count my lucky stars every day that I get to work Well, Colorado's lucky to have you too, Rich. And speaking of Colorado, um, you've stayed here, and you've had a very successful post-football career. Tell us about it. So I, uh, you know, I retired uh, pretty young in my early 30s and, uh, you know, pursued a couple different things, a little bit of Work with Carl Shear, the former Nuggets uh, president that had his a company called Shear Sports. So I cut my teeth there and then did some work in uh, what was the precursor to the MLS here and, and really learned a lot about minor league sports. And then uh, that segued into uh, a 19-year career at uh, Quest and then CenturyLink managing all the sports marketing for the company, uh, including, you know, probably my my favorite big deal that we did in, uh, was in 04 with uh, the Seahawks and the naming rights there, and today is known as CenturyLink Field. So uh, I get to stay in sports and get to be around all the different leagues and teams, and uh, you know, I've been really you know lucky to to be able to stay in it and have a good living from it. Do um do people often do? You know, as time goes by, do people know and remember uh, your time with the Broncos, or does it sometimes surprise them? Um, I, I think it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, you never know who says what prior to uh, that introduction. But the, you know, I think it really helped me in dealing with the, you know, whether it was the NBA teams or NFL or MLB or NHL or whoever it was. I think it really helped um, with my credibility with them in having uh, that background um, that I could speak to them as a player and then as a you know a business executive. Um, when you left the Broncos, you set an NFL record since broken, but you kicked seven field goals in one game. So you've had some moments in the NFL. 
what's your favorite moment of your pro career? Well, the one in Minnesota was special uh, for me, but not for our team because although we won that game, it, it showed the uh, the gaps we had on offense. You know, I kicked seven field goals in regulation in that game, and I think I was the only one happy at the end of the game. The offense was mad. The defense was mad at the offense. and um, But, you know, the, the game that really will always stand out for me is the drive game mm -hmm. uh, in Cleveland. You know, to, as a as a kicker to end up on the cover of Sports Illustrated, yes, which at the time at the time was you know, um, Sports Illustrated was you know kind of it you know to to make that cover, mm -hmm. um, you know that it's it's hard to beat that um, that experience and sharing that with uh, with the team and with the city, uh, and I think that that's you know for me that's you know probably my fondest memory. Yeah, and it's still considered almost always one of the 25 greatest games of all time. And seldom is there a game that's considered to be as significant as the Super Bowl. But if somebody said, who won the Super Bowl in 86? A fan might not know that it was the New York Giants. But if you mention the drive, almost invariably people know all about it, and they, they just know about the drive, like the mm -hmm. catch when Dwight Clark made it. Yep. Yep, those like those moments that you just never know what will define you know your career, right? Uh, you just hope that you're ready for it. That's right. And uh, what preparation, opportunity, um, uh, and that's what that's what luck is made of. Sometimes is uh, all the decisions you made going back to your senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And, and you know the the thing that. You know, you know, when you look at it all, you know, f for me to end up in in Denver, you know, the year before we traded for for John Elway, and how that changed the fortunes mm -hmm. for everybody uh, thereafter. Um, you know, just and you know, for me, I you know, playing on a high school team that won one game, playing my last two years in college that won two games each, and then you know, my my rookie year in Denver was a strike shortened year in 82 and we went two and nine. I thought, man, this is me, you know, it's, you know, I, wherever I go, I can't, you know, find a way to win more games than lose. That changed quickly though. Yes, it did. It really changed quickly. Yeah. Well, you're still one of the legendary figures in Broncos history and it's a pleasure to talk to you, Rich. And uh, I thank you very much for joining us on our Broncos country throwback. I'm more than happy to join you anytime. Always great to catch up, Sacco. That was Jim Sacamano's conversation with former kicker Rich Carlos. Phil, I really enjoyed hearing about the end of that 1986 AFC Championship game. You know, a lot of, a lot of controversy there with that kick, but good to hear Rich talk about it there. Yeah, what a moment in Broncos history. I don't know about you, Eric, but uh, kicking barefoot. That is something, especially in some of those uh, January games, not something I'm very interested in. Uh, you can find more great episodes just like this one wherever you find your podcast currently. That's Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. So be on the lookout. We will be back next week with another episode of Broncos Country Throwback. <laughs>